are listening on WERU-FM, the show Change Agents. I am the host of Change Agents. My name is Steve Wessler. I interview people whose work and efforts relate to uh, trying to address social social justice issues and human rights issues. My guests today are people working with Preble Street. Preble Street is the largest organization that advocates for the rights of homeless people in Maine. Uh, my guests are uh, Terrence Miller, who's the advocacy director, um, Lisa Franklin, who uh, works with Homeless Voices for Justice, which we'll hear more about. And then uh, Taylor Cray, um, who supports um, and I guess at times guides um, Homeless Voice, uh, Voice for Justice. Uh, we will be discussing advocacy uh, works at Carmel um, Street. And uh, so I think um, probably the best way to start this, and maybe Terrence, uh, this will be for you, is just to give a, you know, a um, a two minutes, so um, maybe three of what Preble Street is. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Thank you for allowing this opportunity for Preble Street. Um, um, a member of Homeless Voices for Justice, as well as the team leader, and I as advocacy director on the show. Preble Street is this real unique uh, entity. Um, that inherent within its mission statement, not only does it have the direct service of providing shelter for the homeless, um, food uh, for those that are food insecure, trafficking services for those people uh, and individuals being trafficked uh, in our world, um, veterans housing, rapid rehousing, um, as well as a learning collaborative that acts as a medical clinic for homeless individuals and families uh, with Maine Medical. So this, uh, and I'd be remiss not to mention the Food Security Hub, which is the next, next generation of emergency food assistance. But what's really unique about Preble Street is, as a social services agency, not only does it have in its mission statement those direct services, but then there is this tremendous addition, which is the role that Taylor, I, and another colleague, uh, Devin Stockmeyer, uh, mayor, uh, plays uh, with the team to advocate for structural changes uh, that impact the people we serve. And so our role is really to look at policymakers, administrative gaps and opportunities uh, to expand and to really address in a structural way the causes um, and the reasons for these um, individuals being impacted by lack of shelter, lack of food, et cetera. Thank you. That was uh, uh, really concise and uh, useful. Um, so I, I'd like both for uh, Taylor and Lisa, and you can decide 
you know, who's going to say what? But uh, perhaps to talk about Homeless Voice um, for Justice, which I think is a um, really a remarkable um, part of, but also independent in some ways, part of uh, Rebel Street. I also should say that um, uh, I I do come into this uh, with a bias because um, the, the the single um, the single social service uh, human rights agency anywhere for me is Purple Street and including um, homeless voices for justice, but. Um, go ahead. Uh, some, perhaps one of you just to talk about, uh, um, what homeless voice yeah. justice is. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Um, so homeless voices for justice started in 1995. Um, so one of our other advocates likes to joke that homeless voices for justice is, is older than me. Um, but Homeless Voices for Justice started in 1995 as sort of a grassroots organization that, that aims to bring people with lived experiences of being unhoused, food insecurity, and the various other sort of entities that exist within poverty um, into a space to have conversations about policy change and, and community-based advocacy around what is it that we're seeing in our community and, um, and how can we make changes based on the real day-to-day -day experiences that folks are having. Um, so HVJ is um, run by a group of advocates and each of them brings their own experience and their own background. And it's a really incredible space where a lot of collaboration and conversation happens around what does it really look like to be a member of the unhoused community? Um, and HVJ is supported by a full-time organizer, which is my role right now, but has been a variety of other folks in the past. And that organizer just sort of helps to support the more logistical side and sort of the policy element of, of HPJ's work. Um, I don't know if you want to build on that. Um, yeah, um, it, for me, it was a way kind of to get back in. I wanted to, once I was housed, I really wanted to help out with, with an organization that helped me, number one. But number two, um, it, it's... It's good to be around people that have come from a similar situation as you and um, to feel like you're to build like camaraderie and be working towards something that you have personal experience with. Um, and Taylor's being modest. She does a lot more of uh, very much. She really holds it, holds it all together and she does a great job um, as well as Terrence. It's been a really um, it's helped me actually. I mean, once you once you come from being homeless, it's um. It's hard to go back all of a sudden, just be like, okay, I'm housed now, you know, everything's fine. So um, it's nice to have uh, people, like I said, that are looking to um, give back and help that all share that common piece. Um, thank you both for what you just said. Um, Lisa, if you're comfortable, and it's fine if you do not want to, um, to perhaps help people who um, have not faced homelessness or don't have family who have um, homelessness. Um, what did that 
what did that feel like? What did it, um, uh, other than the word hard? Well, um, speaking from my situation, um, I've had a lot of challenges in my life. I am in recovery um, from substance abuse. Um, I have had lifelong, you know, depression um, issues. Um, And then I ran into a domestic violence situation. Well, my point of saying that is that it, it, um, some people um, might be um, pushed into homelessness strictly due to like a financial reason. Um, And ultimately that's, I mean, that is the the reason why, I mean, it's, you know, you're not housed because you don't have, you know, the money for it. But my point is, is that, um, um, what is my point? (laughs) My point is, is that, um, um, it was a, for me, it was a kind of a, um, a progression into um, a devastating place. But when I actually became homeless, um, I really had no idea of how, um, what's the right adjective, how um, just completely demoralizing it is. Um, so it, like I was saying, it not only are you kind of um, coming back to, I mean, you get housed, um, but you need to build up your yourself because you're you weren't part you're not part of like the quote unquote regular society um, as much as you know you might be in a place it, while while you're homeless in a shelter situation where the people are making you feel that way you're still very acutely aware that you are um, you really have nothing to kind of grasp onto so it's very um, it's frightening it's um, demoralizing. Um, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of, um, very, um, kind of traumatic things that take a while to, you know, kind of, um, work on once you are housed. Um, thank you for that. Um, I'm, I'm also, I think would be, it would be useful to talk about some of the, the nuts and bolts of being, um, homeless such as where do you sleep? Uh, is it difficult? Where do you, where do you have, um, you still have belongings um, and, and you need to have them um, uh, for, you know, for medicine, for um, having some kind of um, money to be able to, 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 uh, and, how how did how does that work? Um, and maybe just you could start with um, coming into a um, a shelter where you're going to sleep. Okay. Um, personally, I did not have anything. I had the clothes on my back. I had to i I had to flee a situation. I didn't even have my purse, glasses, ID, nothing. Just myself and my body. Um, so I was really starting from scratch, um, in terms of, um, acquiring items, um, the shelter here in Portland, um, was located, um, very close to, um, what previously was the soup kitchen here in Portland, um, Purple Street Soup Kitchen, along with, um, a number of other services, uh, medical services, um, uh, Greater Portland Health, which is can, works closely with Preble Street, um, 
So as for me, I did have um, medications and just talking about medication. I had um, several medications that I needed to get as soon as possible. And literally the next day, the day that I arrived and got into the shelter, um, I was hooked up in that situation immediately. I sought it out, but it was not very hard to find. So, so, so tell me, tell me about um, the process of going into um, uh, a room, maybe a large room, and trying to sleep. What, what did that feel like? Uh, <laughs> well, it was I I. I was at the Oxford Street shelter for three months and I probably slept an hour here and there like the first week. I couldn't, I, you're in, you're in a room, um, you are given a, um, close to, um, nine o'clock you're giving, you're given a mat and it's about, about an inch, an inch mat. It's on the ground. Um, it's on a, like a bare floor. And you're about, I don't know, about six inches prior to COVID, um, six inches away from the person, you know, you're just, you're crammed in a room as much as they can get, which I mean, they're trying to, you know, provide shelter for as many people as possible. But um, it's very, it's very frightening. I mean, um, you have a, a bunch of people that are very much on guard themselves and are in a rough situation. So that's not going to bring out the best in anyone. Um, so it's, it's very scary <laughs> going into that situation. Um, I, you know, wasn't a spring chicken, you know, when I came to the situation, I was, you know, 47. I'm, my point is, is that I can only imagine when I was younger, you know, even 10 years younger than that. I, I think it, it, I don't know if I, I mean, I guess you're at a point where you have to handle it. You, you you need to handle it. So you have to do what you have to do. And I felt honestly very grateful um, to be able to be there. Um, so I actually don't even like to complain about any part of it. So, I mean, I am just simply explaining it, but I, I, I did feel tremendously grateful to have that. But it was, um it was, it's, it's not pleasant in any way. Um, yes. I think, you know, Lisa brings up a, a, a really excellent point about the need for supportive services uh, in our housing first facilities that Preble Street runs, uh, Houston Commons, Logan Place, Florence House. There are the supportive services that Lisa articulated about medical services and um, a, a list of um, support for therapy and uh, employment and other things. And I think that many times in these conversations, uh, we we think of 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 housing. You know, if there was just affordable housing in the state of Maine, we're lacking twenty thousand affordable housing units. That m many people say, yes, that's the ultimate uh, solution to this issue. But what they neglect to understand is the need to support individuals because of the array of problems, as articulated by Lisa, and the support that they need. And I think that that needs to be part of that conversation if we're talking about housing solutions here in Maine. Yeah, you are, uh, I, I'm, go ahead for a sec. Uh, you are listening to Change Agents.
interviews with human rights and social justice advocates. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Terrence Miller, uh, the advocacy director at Preble Street, um, uh, Lisa Franklin, who is uh, uh, part of the, the group that uh, directs Homeless Voices for Justice, and Taylor Cray, who um, uh, as a um, employed by uh, um, is works with um, Homeless Voices for Justice as well. Uh, we will be continuing to talk about advocacy work uh, related to issues involving homelessness. Um, what, what I what I would like to do, and we don't need to have it in any particular particular order, is for for each of you to to talk about um, what is what is the the most important issue um, affecting broadly homelessness um, and. Uh, I mean, you've 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 talked about a, a lot of different different issues, from substance abuse to um, how do you get your medications, how do you get people back on their feet. Um, uh, we also have issues in involving discrimination about violence and issues related to police, and probably much more. Um, who would like to jump in first? I, I'll be happy to um, start the conversation. Right now at Preble Street, one of our major uh, issues is the decriminalization of the homeless. I think there is a tremendous with um, tremendous propensity for uh, people. Uh, Portland, uh, the city of Portland, is a uh, attracts many tourists. And there's a, a you know, and, and I think Lisa can address this. There, the treatment of people who are unsheltered is is really uh, uh, awful at times. Um, criminalize them because of being unsheltered or the array of issues. And I think our society as a whole is is very uh, you know black and white in this, and and feels that you know. Uh, this array of issues uh, for the 1,500 people a night, Steve, who are looking for shelter in the city of Portland. But the decriminalization, the Ninth Circuit just came out with a case uh, last week that um, uh, affirms the decriminalization that for minor infractions, the homeless should not be uh, attacked or, or uh, targeted uh, for their life-sustaining activities, and, and that's an issue for us. Well, and we're going to come back and talk about that in more detail. Um, so, uh, for um, or Taylor or Lisa, what um, what for you is the most important issue? And if it's the same, that's fine. Um, I, I really think that, um, 
this large amount of homeless people, I think um, it's there, you know, as we stated, you know, affordable housing, there's, there's a need for lots of things, but I think um, just, just find the economic environment needs to be addressed. Um, people, people in this country right now and in Maine, um, are, it's a very stressful time. I mean, I don't care if you have a regular paycheck or if, it, if costs are out of control, um, it's just, um, I hesitate to give that answer because I don't really have any, any solution <laughs> to offer up. Um, but I, I just, I mean, I think about this stuff quite a bit. I mean, um, and I really, I really, I'd have to say, um, I mean, I just economic, I think that's, I'm, I'm glad you raised that because um, I know for me, it's often tempting to talk about just all of the other issues while people are are homeless. But but um, if you if you have money, um, uh, you you're far less likely to be on the street. Now, there, there I have met some people who want to live on the street, but I think that's a minority. Um, so that's, I, I, I'm, I don't think we're going to solve that problem today, but it's really important that you raise it. Um, and uh, Taylor, what for you is particularly I mean, I important? Think, I, yeah, I think Terrence brings up a really excellent point um, with just sort of the criminalization of homelessness and and obviously the the economic situation at the moment isn't ideal for anyone except maybe a very rich minority. Um, and, I, and I also think an element of this that we work pretty closely on within advocacy and homeless voices for justice is the main hunger initiative and the, and the issue of food insecurity in our state. We see it a lot in um, in the unhoused community and folks in our community who you know, Preble Street operates a, a mobile food van and, and we, we go out every morning and distribute meals and then the, the street outreach team goes out in the afternoon and distributes more sort of non-perishable items to folks. But there's just such a major need for consistent, healthy and culturally appropriate food in, in the state of Maine. And I think that that's something that, that lots of people are working really hard on. And, and it's also something that um, that I we see every day, you know, um, People are, you know, people are in house, they're cold and they're, they're hungry. And that, that makes a difference mentally, physically, emotionally. It, it just sort of like perpetuates every element of, of life. So I think that's a really big one. Yeah. And also one that's difficult to overcome. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I want to come back to talking about uh, issues with criminal justice and and homeless people. And I, I, I want to just put out a scenario and to try to have you explain um, what happens. So we, we, we've got a, um, a, uh, a homeless person who uh, uh, is in a place where um, they are told not to be at and but they keep on coming back and maybe they are um they've been given a there could be an arrest or it could be 
um, just um, that they had to pay money, or um, uh, maybe it was because um, somebody was not able to get into a bathroom because people didn't want them to be in the bathroom and they had to urinate um, somewhere and uh, they get put into uh, and then the police come in and there's a record. How does how how does that turn into a, an issue uh, about um, that that criminalizes? So I, I'll start, and then I'm sure Lisa and Taylor have other things. Uh, last legislative session here in the state of Maine. Uh, Representative Victoria Morales from South Portland put forth a bill to um, institute regular protocols in different municipalities on how to treat people who are unsheltered that have committed um, minor infractions, the same litany that you just described, Steve. And now um, in, in our criminal code in the state of Maine, uh, Section 17A, um, the attorney general has articulated uh, model protocols and police now are um, uh, supposed to uh, give the reasons to someone who they come upon who are are unsheltered to what are the resources in that community or municipality for uh, homeless like food, shelter, etc. So now, it is brand is new. Um, is this brand new law um, yes. a um, required, or is it? It's um, something required else? by municipalities to to have this. Now, the well, implementation of that would be uh, up to that municipality, but um, per the law, it's required. Well, I, I want to make sure I understand this. Um, a uh, a um, a municipality and the police department, um, uh, are they able to say, um, well, we're not going to, we're not going to go along with that? And, or is, if, if, if it, if it is mandatory, um, are there sanctions that could come about? Uh, I do not believe there are sanctions for non-compliance with 17A, but um, I uh, I don't believe there are. Okay, it's a um, and um, um, maybe Taylor or Lisa to talk about um, how being. Um, cited by a uh, police officer and giving them a ticket, um, how that uh, creates more particular problems? Um, it, it, could, it could give somebody with um, absolutely no criminal history a criminal history. Um, it could give them fines that they have to worry about paying back, you know, to prevent a possible arrest. Um, it could, I mean, it could turn somebody's road to recovery. It could divert it right off. Um, 
police interactions for people that have come from situations um you know maybe um violence in their home you know violence you know with a partner um can be very traumatic um there's lots of fallout um I mean I feel I mean I know <clears throat> for myself I um I had so much police interaction while I was homeless. Like I, it was unbelievable. <laughs> um, and it, 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 it's kind of left a, um, a little bit of, have had an effect on me. I noticed that I, I tense up from it. I get nervous for no reason. Um, yeah, I mean, it has a, has a lot of, um, fallout. And can you tell me the kind of issues that, police were concerned about from uh, um um did you say for me yeah it, um yeah. well mostly I, I it would be i there was a lot of um there's a lot of people that i don't say a lot but there are many people that do drink i mean it's you know during the day not in excess of the mountain they would be constantly patrolling looking for any type of unopened container it was an ongoing thing. So if they, I was mistaken for another individual like several times and was questioned and I didn't have any way to prove at the first few weeks I was here of even who I was, do you know? So they kind of like kept an eye on me for absolutely no reason yeah. and really like just added to like my like whole like anxiety level, like just like pumped it right up. Um, I didn't really have, I didn't have any um, other, I wasn't cited with anything my personally while I was homeless, but I was around somebody, you know, pretty much every hour that was. Um, but the most common were the open container um, and the bathroom issue. And it is near impossible to find a bathroom. I mean, it's very, I mean, I, I, I don't even, I can't really express to you how, troubling this and how devastating it is to like really realize I can I have nowhere that I can go to the bathroom it's something you know you don't really think about and, um, and is, is that because um some merchants um will decide that um somebody who they think is homeless is not going to be able to come in um that that could have something to do with it I mean but I think it, there's just really I mean, particular areas where um, where the shelter is. There are really not a heck of a lot of merchants anyway. I mean, there were a couple of places that I figured out that I could get to, but it was quite a distance from where the shelter is. Okay. Um, and, and while you're homeless, you tend to stay close to that because if you do have any belongings, you are have to cart them around with you all day. So it's, it's like, you're not really, you know, as much as you may even think like you want to, you know, I, I should maybe go do this or blah, blah, blah. You're very kind of like way down with that. If you do have anything that you're also going to be picked out for somebody carrying around a backpack and you're going to be targeted for being homeless for that. I mean, it's, it's things I had never really, like, I, I don't mean to repeat this. I had really never thought about, you know? I think that's an important thing to note, though. It's like until you're in a situation where nearly everything we do on a day to day basis in in our own like private space, and I'm putting air quotes around that, like 
these are things that people need to do on a day-to-day basis, you know, like use the bathroom or have some, some privacy. And that is not, that's just not available. And that, that really sort of perpetuates this idea that like, it is a crime to be unhoused mm-hmm. when in reality, it's just that the, and I think that also a lack of public restrooms is a really big, like, that's something if, if, you know, if, if there, you go into a store and it says like, must make a purchase in order to use the restroom, that's, you know, that, that puts you in a position where then if you don't have the funds, you can't use the restroom. So public restrooms are really a good way to address that. But, but I think, I think criminalization is really something that puts people, and I don't know, I don't know if this was your experience, but just sort of puts that extra level of, of shame and discomfort on Definitely. Yeah. In a way that, that folks who are housed don't really have to think about because we have, you know, like I can walk down the street carrying a backpack and no one's going to say, oh, stay out of my establishment. You know, that's just not something that happens. Can I, can I add something, um, Steve? Yes, um, go ahead. I, I wanted to say, um, draw kind of a comparison, like um, when you're talking about like when we're thinking as a country or state or city, county, whatever, about how to deal with these issues. Think about when you're like, most people we see things that are, you know, are happening in another country. We really don't know how to help them because we're not, we don't know like all these subtleties, like we're talking about right here, even about a home, the homeless population. So um, my point is, is I'm um, saying it, it's, I'm kind of grateful that organizations are kind of um, wanting to speak to people that have lived experience because it's, really the most effective way that we are going to probably reach a lot of these issues. That, makes, know, that the- makes a lot of sense. Uh, you are listening to Change Agents, interviews with human rights and social justice advocates. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are um, three people who work at um, Rebel, Rebel Street, um, uh, um, Terrence Miller, uh, Lisa Franklin, and uh, Taylor Taylor Cray. Um, we are going to be continuing to talk about um, issues that affect homeless people. So I, I wanted to, to to stay for a minute about wh- um, what what I saw um, when I was interviewing homeless people on some of these issues uh, a number of years ago. Um, with with Rebel Street and with Homeless Voices for Justice, which is you would get um, uh, somebody who is homeless, um, which for probably 99% of means that they don't have money, and uh, they get a citation, whether it's for some of the, the reasons that... Um, um, you talked about Lisa or other ones, but but not things that are hurting anybody. And because you don't have any money, you don't uh, you don't pay. And and then if you decide that you um, are being harassed or have been beaten up by um, people who. Um, hate homeless people, um, you go to the police and the police um, 
end up looking through their computer and they realize, um, well, now there's a warrant out. Um, and, um, that takes you back into jail. Has, has that, um, and, um, has that changed through this law at this point? No, I, I think there there is still uh, examples of, of where that happens based upon that individual's background and and uh, warrants, etc. Steve, so I think the interaction with the police is, as Lisa explained so well, is anxiety filled, is terrorizing the way that interaction happens. One of authority against someone who is economically um, unable to provide shelter for themselves. Uh, so there's power roles there. And so I think, you know, it, 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 that absolutely still occurs. The city of Portland, for example, has a camping policy in place that when the shelter is filled, um, the police have the right to, uh, go and, um, when the shelter is not filled, um, have a right to go to a tent or an accommodation or anything that looks like camping, but they're unsheltered individuals, and to um, uh, take that that camp down, take those possessions away for a week and put them in a space. This is going on in Deering Oaks in the city of Portland and um, on, on Oxford Street, etc. Um, and so there's a real uh, concern about uh, what we do and and where do those individuals go if they're restricted or have a, a CTO, a criminal trespass order, which we know there are about 88 individuals that have that, um, there's nowhere to go. And so this is creating a, a real issue of concern um, with the police interactions under this camping policy. Taylor, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's also, it's not, it's really not the most effective use of resources in terms of helping people find stable environments. I mean, we all know that, but a few weeks ago, they had, they had cleared folks out of the park, out of Deering Oaks, um, which is, um, if you know Portland, like sort of right, right downtown, right where you're, um, and they, I mean, folks return. They return to the space where they're comfortable, where their community was based. And just this morning, as I was driving into work, they were clearing the park out again. And so it's just sort of this cycle that repeats itself where folks look for somewhere safe to be when they can't access the shelter. Um, and sometimes the shelter fills up in the middle of the night. You know, the shelter fills up at, at 1 or 2 a.m. And there's really no way to notify, you know, like our us or anybody else, the shelter's full don't take down the encampments. And, and so there's, there's sort of, there's definitely a lot of holes in this, in this conversation that, um, that needs to be addressed, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue that perpetuates itself because when folks are moved from the location that they're in, it also presents an issue for, um, individuals who work in tandem with these, with these communities who come from social service agencies who are then sort of wondering where, where have they gone? You know, where are they? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I also have um, spoken with many homeless people who say it's safer for us to be outside. Now, that 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 may not be accurate, but it's 
but it's the perception perception. Well, Lisa could address this, Steve. You're very accurate here. There's a real fear. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah, there's some, I mean, uh, as soon I, I, um, I walked, was became homeless in the winter in December, 2019. I say that because you're really not, unless you do have the supplies, you really cannot sleep outside. I mean, it's it, and there are, there are people that even in the winter are in that situation where they did not have anywhere to go. You know, let me make that clear. But immediately I first day, second day, as soon as it's warm enough going outside, because there's, I mean, it, it is, um, it's, it is not, I, and, and I, like I said, I don't really want to bad mouth a place that was a shelter to me, but it was, um, there's a lot of um, stealing going on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of little things that go on that, especially women, it could make you very, very, um, feel very unsafe. Um, this particular shelter here, they have a policy where they, um, you don't have your spot saved every day. There's a check-in time. Um, um, there was a check-in time for women. There was a check-in time for men. Then you sign in. And then then and then are you only assured of your where that you're going to be there that night. Um, I say that um, to let you know that also there is no um, curfew. You can come in and out of the building all night long. But with along with that, they will let other people come in to a little like entryway and sit on a chair. There's about six chairs and also let other people go in and out of a bathroom, which is an area where the women slept without anybody accompanying them. And with like any possessions you might have, you're sleeping completely. And just anybody is just walking in there to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's just one small example. Um, but there's, um, you're not really safe in any way. I mean, at all. I, I, I would think the, um, the ever-present sense of instability and of danger um, is is toxic, um, and and even more so um, for those people who are coming in with um, previous mental health issues. Um, I, I I will tell you one more a little story. Um, I was having a really difficult time sleeping the whole time I was there, but in particular at the beginning and one night I was on this little ramp area outside of the door reading and a car pulled up and I got solicited and asked if I wanted $50 for, you know, a sex act just like that quickly. Like I couldn't just a person in, you know, a gentleman like in a, just a regular car, I just pulled up and just felt free to ask me that. You know, but there was, which, I mean, it wasn't happening every second, but that it happened, like, I was there for, like, a week and that happened, and I just, there was nobody for me to go report that to, because I asked a couple of the girls, they're like, there's no point, they're like, this, that happens all the time, there's, but I can't do anything about it, so. I'm, I'm sorry that that happens to you and so other shocked. women. <laughs> yeah. I cannot tell you, but thank you. And I think, I think it's important to note there, like, that happened, and that's also something that people engage in as a livelihood, which is a whole nother element yeah. of, you know, like, the anti-trafficking, um, air, like, 
portion of Preble Street does a whole lot of work with folks who are who are criminalized and penalized for doing this sort of work for their survival. And yeah, and I mean that was that. definitely not my my point of that. No, no, yeah, I, yeah. Know, I know, I know, just yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, but if you're not anticipating it, and it's not something that you are like trying to engage in, I can imagine it's incredibly well. My my point more is to, was to like if people feel like there there shouldn't be this um air that they could come up to almost the entryway and ask me something like that and without any uh, you know any fear of like getting in quote unquote trouble. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just an average looking guy and I you know, drive it, you know, and just came right out and didn't know who I even was. You know what I mean? Like. I, I, I remember uh, interviewing a homeless uh, man who uh, was, um, I think he was um, carrying a sign and a, um, a man in his thirties um, um, wearing a um, um, a um, a suit uh, going into one of Portland's busy tall buildings and and uh, um, and he come comes up and says to um, a homeless man, "Do." Would you like a cup of coffee? He had a cup of coffee, and um, and the homeless man said yes, and he just threw this very hot coffee right into his face, um, and that I, and I had other similar things like that. Uh, I you know that maybe that's um, I hope that's that type of conduct is going away. Hmm. Another kind of blatantly like dangerous and horribly rude thing that I um, witnessed. I had a friend that, um, that did, um, they call it flying a sign, you know, had a sign over um, by Daring Oaks where we were speaking of, and a guy drove by with $101 bills and like threw them out the window and started filming him, like trying to pick it up right in the middle of traffic. And yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. Steve, I, I do want to say that one of the initiatives that the Homeless Voices for Justice advocates and members did achieve was working with Representative Rachel Talbot Ross to have a dignity pilot to uh, to really document any discrimination in employment, housing, at shelters occurring to people because they're unsheltered. And so this uh, last session, um, that dignity pilot was extended two years um, to really document that. And so Homeless Voices for Justice Advocates do go out. Uh, and I would welcome anyone listening to this. Uh, if you uh, have experienced discrimination, Maine uh, Human Rights Commission and are unsheltered, are taking those complaints to sort of assess and document what is happening to unsheltered people in a discriminatory way in the state of Maine. So I'd encourage anyone to go to the Maine Human Rights Commission site or contact Preble Street Homeless Voices for Justice um, to register those complaints. I think that's critical to really identify where is the discrimination happening and what policies and administrative practices need to be changed.
I just want to jump in for one second on something that Lisa said that I think that I think feels really important in building off of the story that you told Steve is I feel like a conversation that we have oftentimes with people is they'll ask, you know, what can I do to support the unhoused community? Which is an excellent question. There's a ton of different things that people can do. You can donate time, money, in-kind donations of like clothing and food items. But another thing that, that, that people can do that I think often gets overlooked is just treat people like people. I think that's something that often in the unhoused community folks say like, Nobody looks me in the eye. Nobody talks to me. Nobody smiles at me. People walk around me because they don't want to be associated with me. And I think for a lot of people, it's it's sort of, you know, outside of blatant acts of just being disgusting and like throwing coffee on people and stuff. I think folks don't understand maybe the value of just saying hello, kind. being, yeah, being kind, you know, and, and just saying, like, hey, how's it going? You know, even if you... If, you know, if someone asks you for a couple bucks and you don't have any cash, just say, sorry, I don't have any cash, but how are you? Just something like that. I think it's, it's, it's something we don't, we don't talk about enough is the fact that people don't get treated like people when they're unhoused. I think that's very important. Um, and, uh, and I think for those of us who have reached out to people, just for saying hello or how are you or whatever it is. Um, uh, sometimes there's a double take from the homeless person. Um, you know, like, was that directed to me? I, I also think, you know, on a program named uh, Social Change Agents, empathy uh, is a critical dimension and characteristic of social change agents. Uh, to have empathy for the other outside of your own tribe being, uh, you know, to really authentically engage with that person uh, is is really a core dimension of being a social change agent. So I want to lift that up. I also want to say, Steve, that, um, you know, we're going into an election cycle. And one of the things Homeless Voices for Justice is doing is registering uh, homeless people to vote under a program called You Don't Need a Home to Vote. Um, and, and we sent, uh, the Homeless Voices for Justice sent to candidates a questionnaire about the very issues that we're talking about so that they know which candidates are supportive of things like shelter and food. And then we're having a forum, the Homeless Voices for Justice Advocates, at Logan Place, uh, which is located on Frederick Avenue in Portland for District 3 on October 21st at noon. Everyone is invited. And then we're also having the city council members at large have a forum on Monday, October 24th at 55 Portland Street, which is where Preble Street is located, to really have the candidates recognize that the issues that are impacting people are, that are unsheltered are issues that they should be concerned about in an election cycle. And so the voter registration, the forums, the questionnaires are all means that Homeless Voices for Justice is trying to raise these issues with the very policymakers that we elect so that change can happen in a structural way, which I think is what social change agents are all about. I, I find it 
remarkable about the breadth of what um, Preble Street and Homeless Voices for Justice are doing. It's really um, stunning um, and important. Um, uh, we are closing in on the end of this. We still have a, a few minutes, but I, I'd like to just ask um, everyone uh, in about um, a minute and a half a piece, uh, maybe a little longer, um, about what's What's the most important change that you want to see? I mean, we've, we've talked about a, a, a whole number of things that Preble Street and Homeless Voices for Justice are doing. Um, who would like to step in and just realizing that we don't have a tremendous amount of time? I'll step in first, Steve. I think you know, uh, solutions to these problems are multidimensional and interdisciplinary. And, and I feel that Lisa demonstrates the multiple uh, issues that impact our lives. And so there's there's a, a need uh, in the long term for, I would call, low-income and affordable housing in a supportive setting um, that addresses these issues. That's the long term. But in the intermediary time, pre-COVID, we had 700 people a night in the city of Portland looking for housing. Now we have 1,500. So we have an immediate crisis of providing shelter and food to those individuals um, because of the impact of, uh, of COVID and because of, of this reality. I, on October 20th, Preble Street is holding a full day conference at the Holiday Inn to talk about uh, solutions, engaging stakeholders with this issue. And I would um, invite uh, everyone to come. Thank you. Um, and for, um, for uh, Lisa and Taylor, just in um, uh, about one minute, what, what's... Um, it would be wonderful if we could solve all of these problems and you are solving a lot of problems. But what's, what's the one thing that, that you're, you're looking for? Um, I, I would say in some way to activate a greater community compassion. Um, I don't know, um, just down from the top of the city organizers or leaders through their, you know, employees, through all their entities, and just to um, to try to get that empathy going in people. It is so important, um, not just with this issue, so many issues. Um, just if we just, I, will, I would love to see a change in that way. Um, Re-engagement, compassion, and empathy. Thank you. Lisa said exactly what I was going to say, which which sometimes is the way it goes. Um, but I, I think on top of that, I just really I find a lot of a lot of strength in community. And I think that that one thing I would really love to see is for the city of Portland, but also just just people in general within within our communities, our state 
even our nation, but on a more local level, to just sort of look around at their neighbors and recognize that we do live in a communal environment. Like, you know, you are, Lisa is my neighbor and like, so is Terrence. And so are the folks who are unsheltered in this neighborhood. And when I say our community, I, you know, I'm talking about Bayside, but I also mean like we're a community in the city of Portland and the person throwing coffee on the unhoused individual is still that person's neighbor. That's not, there's some sort of disconnect in that conversation. And I feel like as we start to repair that disconnect, we can, we can look for communal solutions to the issues that we're facing. Thank you. You have been listening to Change Agents on WERU-FM and on the World Wide Web. Our guests have been Terrence Miller, the Advocacy Director at Preble Street, Lisa Franklin, a member of Homeless Voices for Justice, Taylor Gray, who um, works closely with Homeless Voices for Justice. Um, we've discussed um, lots of issues that uh, that are means where people are trying to solve things. Um, things that I see that have changed over the past years. But I think everybody here. Um, knows that um, there, there's much more effort that needs to happen. And lastly, thank you very much. The three of you are doing remarkable work. Thanks, Steve. Steve.